You're listening to Plans We Make. I'm Ian Chang, drummer for Sun Lux, and this is our final episode discussing the theme of reinvention with some of our favorite reinventors. Today, I'll be talking with musician, singer, composer, and performer Sharon Nova. Sharon and I go back a number of years. I have played drums for her project, My Brightest Diamond, a few times, and I've also been lucky enough to go out on the road with her, opening for her um, solo. And yeah, she is just one of those artists. If you listen to every one of her albums, you'll hear it pretty clearly that she's someone who is never resting on her laurels and is constantly looking for new sounds and new perspectives in her music. I had a chance to catch up with her, and this is what we talked about. Hi, Shara. Hey, my friend. How are you doing? Long time no see. It's good to see your face. You too. So to start, I just wanted to talk about how bizarre sort of, I don't know, especially within the context, this is a Sunlux podcast. And it's it's just feels so serendipitous. The way we met and the way in which that intertwines with Sunlux is actually a pretty interesting story, in my opinion, because the first time we ever met, I think was for the Dreaming Awake uh, Mason Jar uh, session, like outdoor video shoot session. Uh, so for those who of you who don't know, um, Shara put out an EP under My Brightest Diamond uh, in 2014, I think, called None More Than You. And there are uh, there's a song on there called Dreaming Awake, and there's two versions on there, one of which is a Sun Lux version, but that was made way before I'd even met Ryan. Um, and when I met Shara, that was before I met Ryan as well. And there's a second version on there. Uh, that's the Mason jar version, um, arranged by my friends, Ian Davis and Chris Nolte. And at the time I remember Ian Davis hit me up and asked me for help because he was like, hi, I'm arranging this, uh, my brightest diamond song, which like has like some like production on it. And I don't understand the rhythm that's happening. There's like a, rhythmic modulation that happens and I remember I he tasked me to sort of like help him arrange sort of a percussion section for him and when I was getting into it I was like wow this is amazing and I was like I don't even know like who is Sunlux like you know I was just remember being sort of like very kind of um taken by the piece and and little did I know it was a band that I was gonna spend a lot of time being in in the future but that was also just such like a bizarre and beautiful and kind of interesting experience uh doing that video shoot Shara do you remember you remember that <laughs> quite vividly yeah and I always have an eye out for drummers and um and I definitely remember I was like uh who's that <laughs> I was like hi hi yeah before I leave can I get your phone number <laughs> That's how that went after we got police reports from that video because yes. uh, we all got ticketed for illegal activity, trespassing. Trespassing, yeah. So uh, there was quite a lot of drama. Yeah, that was pretty wild. We were supposed to do it in this like abandoned, um, I guess, some kind of factory, but we ended up doing it outside. Um, but still very proud of that video and the way that it came out. So. For those of you who are curious, go check that out. And that's actually an interesting segue into sort of the theme that we're talking about today, which is uh, reinvention, because uh, that 
whole video and experience was literally a reinvention of a piece of music and is something that Shara is no stranger to throughout her career. And um, yeah, so why don't we start by talking about a little bit about your... Well, I most, might say what yeah. where that song even came from before that was it was uh there was a concert a festival that laurie anderson and lou reed curated in sydney australia mm. at the opera house and colin stetson the saxophone player was there and they wanted to make an evening called slow music and so i wrote that song originally for colin and i to perform at the sydney opera house so then the work with you was a reimagining of an arrangement that Colin and I had done, which Sun Lux rearranged, which then was rearranged again. That's amazing. You know, I actually never knew that. <laughs> yeah. And it's beautiful because that particular song has taken on a life of its own with the dance community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, amazing choreographers have taken that music and then made something that I would never have imagined, but have re-inspired me to want to make music for dancers. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, it's interesting what recontextualizing music in different environments, what that will do to shape things. Totally. And it can feed back, like you were saying, like something that, yeah, I, I, I love knowing that that's like how that song came about because I actually had no idea the life that it had even before when I got involved with it and just the layers and layers. And I feel like that's like just a great example of how like when you put a piece of art out into the world and it suddenly isn't really yours anymore, you know, it can kind of live all these different lives and um, move other people to make their own versions of things and it's it's uh it's i feel like each each piece of art or song um has its own sort of like gene genealogy you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. definitely um, so i was just thinking about um how you've kind of reinvented yourself i would say multiple times throughout your career as as my brightest diamond and also you know you've done so many different collaborations as a uh, Sharonova and, and all this, like, and thinking about the most recent album you put out in 2018, which um, I was lucky enough to be uh, part of the tour, like, opening up for, for you and hearing those songs like a, like a lot. And I really kind of got to live with them. Um, but I remember when A Million and One came out, it really felt like a sonic departure from where you were at before that. I feel like you made a lot of different kinds of decisions about like how it was going to sound and stuff like that. The instrumentation felt more electronic. Um, what were some of like the driving forces behind that shift? I have always written with an orchestra in my head mm -hmm. and I have been curious with myself if I could restrict myself to only four textures mm -hmm. and what would I, would I treat the song form? Like how would that change my writing if because I was concerned that the filigree was getting in the way of song architecture. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't allow myself any orchestra textures 
which left me with keyboard, which can be an orchestra by itself. Um, but I really, really wanted to try and and have a minimal approach on that record. And that's that's how I ended up there. The first record was Strings with a Rock Band mm-hmm. slash vibraphone. Second one, I opened up to earth and sky instruments like wood instruments like bassoon, clarinet, mm. um, still strings on the second record, and then harp for my heavenly realm. And then the third record, I thought, okay, I'm trying to mash together this electric acoustic thing. And there's so many challenges like with physics, with trying to get a violin and a drum to talk to each other nicely. And so I thought, okay, let's take away maybe the intensity of the kinds of drumming that I usually like and um, take away electric guitar. And so the third record was really pretty acoustic, some exceptions, Mm -hmm. but, and then the fourth record, I was like, all right, it's really, I'm really tired of being quiet. What's the loudest thing I can do? <laughs> Marching band. Right. So yes. I did, went with uh, brass and winds because I was like, oh, they can move in space and be loud. And then the fourth, uh, the fifth record, then I was like, strip it down, make sure I'm writing good songs. So that's kind of how I quote unquote reinvent myself is just more like creating. Um, a rule set mm. and and trying to work within that rule set it's interesting hearing you kind of like map it out from the beginning it almost feels like something that you could have sort of conceived in your mind like at like before you even did your first album you know what i mean like starting with this like core and then expanding and then but i'm sure like at what point do you typically make these decisions of what you're going to subtract or how you're going to approach um, a record? Uh, is it usually like before you start making it or as you're kind of like making and you're kind of like finding, you know? It's usually at the beginning. The beginning. Yeah. And does that does that usually feel like some sort of reaction to what you just made and immerse yourself in? Now it is. Yeah. Now it is, yeah. Five, five records in, it's definitely like, <laughs> Whatever you did before, don't do that again. <laughs> um, and of course, you're learning and you're growing. So you're incorporating all of those lessons. But yeah, in the beginning, I think for a person like me, I, I want to do everything. I want to do too much. And so it's really, really important for me to really focus my mind. And that means using restriction. Mm, kind of honing your, your energy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it to me it seems like and I feel like we're kindred spirits in this is that like we're both very curious and want to do all the things and try like kind of experience everything like what would you say is like the reason why I guess reinvention or like kind of you know not like being the type of artist that like finds a thing and like that's their thing for like their body of work like what at this point like kind of in your career, like looking back, why would you say that like reinvention is something that's important to you? It comes from rebellion. Mm-hmm. It comes from having grown up in a really restrictive religious um, household mm-hmm. and also being a woman and being my age as a woman meant that when I was first starting out, a woman 
I mean, no one even talked about me being a composer at all. Like mm. there were no women composers when I went to school. I was a singer and I was automatically assumed that I was just going to sing. And so it took me years and years and years for me to even call myself a composer. Um, that's wild. Because that's the generation that I'm in. And the younger people now, it's like, that's not the case. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're still unlearning those things, but definitely there's the, hopefully things have been pushed forward a bit and people like you are, we can thank you for that, you know? <laughs> I mean, every time, I mean, yeah, there were, every time I see a young person with a guitar in their hands or a young person who's doing their own writing and arranging, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it's, it's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, but it, in terms of like why I reinvent it's, it's just like from the beginning, it was like the box was defined in a way that I did not want to be inside. And even in terms of the music business, even still mm. somebody, somebody said to me the other day, like, oh, you're all over the place. <laughs> And I was like, isn't that funny that that's the way it's like, actually, no, it's pretty clear. I do contemporary new music and rock and roll. Like, yeah, I'm not all not, over the place. It's not that hard to wrap your head around, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing it for a long time. Like literally your first album was like uh... strings with, and that's, that's actually one. Something that like I really love about you is that not only have you reinvented yourself over the course of your career, but you began with a type of reinvention. You like what you brought forth in, in the very beginning was already like a reinvention of what people perceive to be like what an artist can be, especially like at the time. Like I feel like I guess is your first album Bring Me to the Workhorse? Bring me right? to the workhorse, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that, like broke a lot of boundaries you know um just to begin with so that was like your default kind of like position already and still and then being able to kind of like continue to reach and grow and and um was really inspiring so um, thank you, thank you the other that. thing yeah. i did from the beginning was i put out a remix record right. because i wanted i wanted to set that template right from the beginning which is yes there will be a record and there's a full length remix record mm -hmm. because i i knew i was going to want to get some aspects into electronic music and i needed that established from the beginning mm. so so that's another precedence that I that's like. right so i know that ryan did a remix for you pretty early on i think um for inside a boy on, um, That's it. Yes, and I was just curious because I've never heard the story before. Uh, how the two of you kind of came to meet? It was actually a matchmaker situation <laughs> with Michael Kaufman, who was the record label um, manager for Asthmatic Kitty, mm. where I had put out my records, and Michael had met Ryan. And he said, you know, Cher, this is, here's this person. I think, I think you should check him out. Um, he's done some dance music with dance before. And let me introduce you. So Michael is how I met Ryan for the first time. Matchmaker. That's amazing. Cause, um, so for those, uh, listening, Michael Kaufman, uh, is 
to this day, Sunlux is manager and uh, kind of our just like life coach in a lot of ways, band coach, you could say. And um, one of the things that kind of matches Shara's story about how they met is also um, how Sunlux became a trio from being a solo project. Because um, Ryan had been doing Sunlux solo up through Lanterns and then Rafik and I were brought on board to kind of be part of the live band uh, as hired guns. Um, but by the end of that cycle, that touring cycle, um, after Michael had kind of seen us play, you know, we had developed a strong relationship and a bond as, as, a, as, a, as a group, um, both with chemistry musically as well as human beings. Um, and Michael was the one who suggested that uh, Rafik and I be part of the band and that it be a trio. So I'm very grateful to him for doing that because uh, I could have easily been happily just been sort of the drummer, live drummer for Sunlux and not like kind of been invited into like the inner kind of core. So uh, it's, it's Michael has sort of been, been doing matchmaker for, for many years. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess on the topic of bringing Rafik and I were originally brought on to help translate an album at the time was Lanterns, which has a lot of orchestral stuff as well as electronic stuff into it. We were tasked with the challenge of bringing that to the stage format. And I feel like in so many ways, that is a, a reinvention in and of itself, uh, since, you know, live performance and recorded material to me are like two completely different formats that are experienced differently. And Shara, uh, I like have seen you perform so many times because I've been on the road with you and, uh, you're an amazing performer that, uh, and I've seen you also perform in many different contexts. And I feel like, uh, you know, you're no stranger to this process. So I'd just love to hear your feelings and your, your thoughts on like what that is like. <laughs> it's no easy thing um, at all to, to go as far as you can with the imagination and what you can um, do inside a computer and inside a recorded field. And then the gravity of, all right, tour and all the situations that tour brings up, like uh, toting stuff around and (laughs) what are you going to carry it in? And all the logistical, yeah. The logistics are what really demand or or command the situation. Mm. Um, and I think it's I, I I like to be in the clouds and I, I like to be in dreamland. And so live has is all has always been a certain frustration mm-hmm. for me because um, they're never controlled environments. No. And and that's maybe what is the most beautiful thing is you see people trying to get more and more and more controlled, which is more and more automation, more and more playback, more and more like less and less live variables. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's because people have an expectation these days of no mistakes, no shows falling apart. And when, when you have the more factors that you introduce, the more um, variables there are, which means the more possibility for chance. Totally, and yeah. It's a beautiful thing, uh, chance, but it also, <laughs> it also gets uh, 
you, you are leaving yourself a vulnerability. Yes. And what I find human being subjected to tremendous vulnerabilities on a planet that's vulnerable, in a body that's vulnerable, mm -hmm. that that my own resistance to that vulnerability and my desire to control it and, and to control the uncontrollable, you know, there's something about that, that it's like, no, that embrace the vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like easy, easy to say, like, you know, when we're talking about it right now, theoretically, but it's, it's all the more difficult to say when you're in a situation where you're feeling so vulnerable on stage and like, because of, you know, it could be a thousand reasons, like you said. And, um, but yeah, sometimes that's like, those are some of the most memorable shows, both for performers and audiences alike. And I'm so glad that you've kind of brought this up because I think so many people don't understand or realize kind of how little control artists have, you know, unless they have like unlimited budget uh, or whatever, but like, it's just, kind of you're really improvising on a nightly basis um, trying to put on an experience for people in spaces that are completely different night to night and it's 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 a it's such a wild thing um and i i really i feel like your frustrations with it and how much you kind of butt heads with it is also i would venture to say that that is one of the reasons why your live shows are so engaging and raw and as well as like they kind of deliver in so many ways and I, I remember very clearly like one of the things that was really cool about the show the a million and one show that i got to kind of witness uh, many times was the way i believe it was the way you started out right like where you would start in the audience and because my memory of it's going to be a little bit more fuzzy than yours i'd like you to tell tell the listeners about like what that was because that was something that was always so cool and i loved seeing it unfold every night <laughs> yeah the 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 idea of vulnerability or subverting expectation and the first song that we played on that tour was it's me on the dance floor and i think that that moment there's the before and the after when the performer is on the stage or when they're off and what that moment is and people looking forward and, and actually me wanting to um, engage the audience from, no, we're not going to wait to break the third wall in the encore. We're actually going to break it right from the beginning. <laughs> and hopefully that disarms people enough to make them feel a part of something, feel a Feel, feel themselves activated, not just like, oh, I'm here to just mm -hmm. be uh, a bystander watcher. It's safe for me. I'm a, oh no, I can hide in the shadows here. It's like, no, this is, this is all of us making this experience together. And hopefully I, I got something of that feeling from by, from beginning in the shadows myself and then finding my way to the stage. Oh yeah, I thought it was always successful and it was one of my favorite things to like kind of watch being someone who knows what's about to happen while everyone else in the room for the most part probably like does not, you know, and kind of seeing people's like faces light up because, you know, it's, you know, coming in from the audience is a move that people do, but 
almost never like first song of the set you know what i mean like i've never like really seen that and obviously with like the lyrics of that song in particular too and just kind of like getting everyone in a communal space and and it's it's almost like kind of making me feel a little emotional right now because of the past couple of years that we've had and how like <laughs> like a concept like that would present so many more barriers and 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 kind of considerations you know that didn't used to exist and uh, the world we live in is very different now <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's wild uh, i wanted to kind of wrap up by just seeing asking you you know what have you been up to and kind of where you know what are the projects that you're working on slash about to work on that you're excited about um and yeah if there's anything that you want the listeners to know about or keep an eye out for you know this year i have made a film with my friend Helga Davis and we were going to make a piece that was a community like a piece with community choir and harps and drums and we were in a dress that was built for two and when pandemic started obviously community choir being in community and singing choral music was first thing to go mm -hmm. and so we ended up doing some workshops, just the two of us and director Mark De Piazza, and ended up filming those. Basically, they were workshops, uh, what we thought were workshops, which ended up being a film. Mm. And um, so we just had the premiere uh, in Arkansas at the momentary part of the Crystal Bridges conglomerate <laughs> um, but that premiere we just had um in august this year and that hopefully we'll be traveling to different cities so that's cool. that's been where a lot of my time and energy was focused and then i made a record with five women composers mm. um and this piece is called the blue hour and that record should come out next spring Swiss string orchestra hmm. and yours truly on the vocals and then what else am i doing and then i'm i'm currently <laughs> speed writing um <laughs> a I, I i guess i'm gonna call it a a baroque mask m-a-s-q-u-e mm. and it's a collaboration with the sculptor visual artist matthew ritchie and it's a retelling of parable um not parable it's a retelling of paradise lost oh wow that seems um, like a very intense thing to speed right <laughs> it has been it's been a really intense thing um i'm just taking off a little chunk not, <laughs> you know you can only take off a, a bite amazing and that performance will be october 9th i don't know if this podcast will be aired later probably. or not but it'll probably be after that yeah okay yeah. but we'll be making a record of that project too so. damn so you're like in deep collaboration mode kind of yes doing doing yes. all the different things and also yet again having to reinvent you know the way we create and produce and present work you know in this kind of in this in this time with COVID, um, but it's all very exciting. And 
the film that you did with Helga Davis, that's not, you can't watch that online anywhere. You have to kind of wait and see if it pops up somewhere close by, right? It's a four screen, inv uh, oh. it's a four screen installation and the screens are two 11 foot by four feet screens and then two um, 11 feet screens horizontally. Oh, amazing. So it's, and 7.2 surround. So it's really like an immersive experience. And I think if you uh, reduced it to screen. Yeah, it yeah, it totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope that I get to experience that um, somewhere uh, soon. Thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule, as, a, as a, it sounds like, um, to, to, to talk with me and to be a part of this podcast. Oh, it's so good to see you. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for just this conversation thanks to Nova for joining me really loved catching up with her head to mybrightestdiamond.com for more about her work and follow her on all of the social media networks at mybrightestdiamond if you feel so inclined Plans We Make was created by me Ian Chang and my Sunlux bandmates Ryan Lott and Rafiq Batia and was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs Special thanks to executive producers Michael Kaufman and Hannah Hauser for all of their support. And be sure to subscribe to Plans We Make wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ian Chang. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.